You're listening to a podcast series from Vietcetera Production. Vietnam is forecasted to be one of the fastest growing economies in Southeast Asia and the world. To understand the dynamics behind Vietnam's miracle growth, Vietcetera meets with business leaders every week to discuss the country's future growth prospects. We also learn about how they build and manage teams and why they think innovation will be key to Vietnam's role in the world order. On today's episode of Vietnam Innovators, we're inviting one of my dear high school friends, Kayla Littman. We did speech and debate together back in high school and haven't seen each other for more than a decade. But we've been following each other on social media, and lo and behold, we're both working in media. Uh, Kayla is an audio business leader working on content strategy, product, marketing, and business development for brands such as Conte Nast and Vox most recently. And of course, ourselves here at Vietcetera, we're leading or trying to lead the podcast industry here in Vietnam. We've invited Kayla Littman onto the show to share her insights about the market and industry in general from her perspective in the United States. And for, of course, for myself to share more about what we're doing at Vietcetera and to contrast the Asian markets versus the Western markets in audio listening. Without further ado, let's tune into today's episode. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of Vietnam Innovators. Before we start, we just want to give a big thanks to our sponsor for this episode, ELSA, which stands for English Language Speech Assistant. You can download their app on the iOS App Store or the Google Play Store. It's a app that you can use to learn English, um, and they use artificial intelligence to help make your learning experience better. So check it out, ELSA, on your smartphone. Thanks, guys. Let's get back to today's episode. What's up, everybody? It's your host, Hao here, the CEO and founder of Vietcetera. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of Vietnam Innovators. Uh, we've got a special one for you here today. Uh, she doesn't live in Vietnam. I don't think she's ever been to Vietnam, but she's an incredible expert about the very format of content that we're making today, which is about podcasts and audio. And I thought it'd be a nice treat for our audience here, since I know a lot of you are tuning in through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, wherever you get your, your content with us. And you're really curious about how Vietcetera got started, why we're investing so much in this space. And we ourselves are very curious about why we're doing it as well. And we've been tapping a lot of the best experts around Asia, but also uh, Kayla Littman, our guest today. Um, she's been someone I've known for almost more than a decade, probably. She went to high school with me. Um, we haven't connected for many years. Um, but uh, in our kind of crew in high school, uh, we've always, I guess, kept in touch somehow, or at least know what people are up to. So um, Kayla, she's um, been building her career in media, and we'll, we'll hear more about from her um, what she's done in that space since then, especially in podcasts. So uh, Kayla, thank you so much for making your time available today and, and sharing your insights on the show. Um, let's start off with a, maybe a quick introduction about, um, of course, yourself and your experience in audio and, and podcasts. Hi, how it's so good to be here. Thank you again. Um, I feel like I've been following the trajectory of Yetcetra um, across LinkedIn, and I feel as if you guys are just exploding um, in your market in Vietnam. So it's really exciting to see how much you're growing in audio as well, since that's sort of my area of expertise over the past six years here in the United States. Um, and, you know, it's just really cool to see what everybody wound up doing from that high school crew that we're part of. I think a lot of people went into media, a lot of people went into journalism, some people did really hard 
hard lefts and, you know, our doctors are surgeons now. So it's really cool to see the trajectory of everybody. Um, you know, I, I think what's the coolest thing about where I started in terms of my audio career here in New York and in terms of where audio is going in general, not just in the United States, but globally, is that there's so much innovation left to be done um, from every corner of the globe. And certain markets uh, have the benefit of maybe having a younger demographic who's more tech savvy, like in Vietnam. And then certain demos also have the advantage of really, uh, really great technology that might not be as popular or common um, in other parts of the world. Like for example, the Asian market really has great transcription, which uh, the US market hasn't quite caught up with. Um, but I digress, you were asking for an introduction and I jumped right into all my favorite things about this business. But uh, you know, I, I've been doing, uh, doing business development, operations, revenue from, for some pretty big media companies here in New York. Uh, I, I worked with Panoply, which was uh, a, a podcast network that was part of Slate for a while, but then kind of changed. But that was sort of my first foray into working on a podcast. I worked with Panoply on a narrative podcast, which um, in terms of formats in audio, there's kind of two or three prevailing formats that have been really popular over the years. Uh, first of all, there's obviously the interview conversation show, like what we're doing. This is getting very meta already. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, there's the interview conversation show. And then um, in the United States, there's this booming market that's um, starting to be led by a lot of the big movie studios and streaming networks as well, where it's a lot more highly produced storytelling. And so I got this amazing opportunity back in 2017 to work on a story that was actually about my family. Um, and I was greenlit through Panoply and was working in a freelance capacity while also working in the advertising and marketing world at my day job. Um, so at my day job, I was working at a smaller publisher. Um, the, the name of the publisher was The Week. And then they also had a sister brand called Mental Floss. And What's cool when you work at a small publisher is you can really be nimble and try out a lot of different things. So we were trying out selling sponsorships on our smaller podcasts at the time, but I really was hungry to do more in audio. And I felt like working at a larger portfolio media company would really give me that opportunity. And so I wound up moving over to Vox Media, um, which in the United States is a portfolio company that's rapidly growing. Um, in 2019, uh, they, they grew by adding New York Media or New York Magazine into their portfolio. Um, but they're known for Vox.com, Recode, um, which does a lot of tech reporting, The Verge, Polygon. Like they have really a vertical for every interest you could possibly think about. So they're kind of a foil for what Vetsedra does um, in the United States in terms of being a place that's a hub for new media and has a ton of different, uh, a ton of different interests for whoever might come to their site. So with that said, I moved over there and they didn't have any foundational operations when it came to the 10 or 15 podcasts that they were already developing. 
So they were really looking for a way to scale up, monetize the shows that they were already producing that were these editorial passion projects from some of their leading journalists, such as like Ezra Klein or Kara Swisher, um, who have since actually moved over to the New York Times. Um, which we can kind of talk about later in this conversation, but across the United States, what's been happening really aggressively in audio is a ton of consolidation. So there's a ton of consolidation that's happening across audio when it comes to tech, when it comes to programming. And um, that's just a really good indicator that there's money being poured into this because it's a high velocity, high growth media channel. Um, and when I was at Vox, I loved that I could work on a ton of different shows of all different types of interests. And um, I got a reach out from somebody over at Condé Nast, which is obviously a large global, uh, global publisher. They're known for GQ, The New Yorker, Vanity Fair, uh, Condé Nast Traveler, which um, has a ton of publications outside the U.S. Almost every uh, country has a traveler. Um, and also Vogue, of course. Um, so it was a, you know, a larger publisher that had these legacy brands. And for the past few years, they'd been figuring out, okay, how do we digitize rapidly? How do we figure out our video strategy? How do we figure, figure out all the different elements that would make, uh, make us a new age media company because we've been around for over a hundred years here in New York. And um, I was really fortunate to get in on the ground floor being their first hire when it came to audio. And that was sort of similar to what I did at Vox where I came in very early stage, where no one really knows what's going on, but you know that there's a lot of a uh, lot of solutions that you need to come up with, and so that's where I really love to walk through the door is like figure out, research what are the best solutions for the publisher that I'm working with, and then figure out how to implement those at scale and make them replicable. Um, because internally at a publisher, there's so many moving parts, and there's so much infrastructure that needs to be developed in order to uh, help the editorial talent really do what they do best. And so I was really fortunate to be able to do that at Condé for the past uh, year and a half or so. And then as all the headlines will tell you about what's going on in the labor market um, everywhere, and especially across the United States, um, I saw an opportunity this summer to really kind of set off on my own and do more consulting and take a pause from being in those big corporate media companies um, to figure out how to do more project-based work. So I'm still working with a lot of big publishers um, on a project basis right now, um, while I sort of figure out what it would look like either to stay completely part or not part-time, but completely freelance, completely consultant um, versus going back in-house at a larger publisher and being full-time. So I'm at one of those, you know, natural early 30s moments in your career where you've really learned a lot. And then you're trying to figure out like, okay, what do I do with all this information I have about the audio industry? And how can I help um, other people who are trying to accomplish big things in this, this really exciting uh, new space? Um, and yeah, I mean, that's kind of, that's what I've been up to for the past six or seven years um, here in New York. Uh, but 
I, I think what's really fun about audio, really fun about media in New York in general, is there's always a new challenge. There's always something new and interesting, um, whether it be TikTok being like the hottest new platform that everyone has to be on, to figuring out what it means to be on Clubhouse or what it means to be on Twitter spaces or what the smart speaker um, interface looks like. There's so much going on in audio right now that there's always an opportunity to jump in and kind of be of service into these burgeoning media channels. So I will stop monologuing for five seconds, I promise. Mm -hmm. um, but I'll kind of leave it at that in terms of my interests and, you know, my my career background. Kayla, it's um, great to hear about your learnings throughout the years because honestly, podcasts are still at the forefront of innovation for content. So there's not a lot of people that have done what you've done. So again, thank you for sharing your, your quick insights on that. Elsa Speak is the world's smartest English pronunciation coach powered by AI. The app can listen and pinpoint the exact errors in every single sound, intonation, rhythm, and pitch as you speak, compared to a native speaker, and give instant feedback on how to improve. All these feedbacks are fully automated using Elsa's proprietary speech recognition technology. With this virtual everyday English personal trainer, you'll be able to speak with ease and confidence. Learn how to speak like our innovators by downloading and clicking the link in the description below. Um, my, my first question for you, as you mentioned six, seven years ago, you got into audio. Um, I feel like Vietnam is at that point now where we're, we're just getting into audio some 12 months ago or so, and there's still a lot of skeptics, um, uh, but also of course, advocates too. People really bullish on it. People really bearish on it. In Vietnam, people are like, why don't you just do video? And, and, you know, my answer to them is like, hey, we are doing video. We're doing multicast podcasts because that's a great way to build lead gen for those that are native to, to YouTube, but want, you know, or see an opportunity to adapt um, onto other platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So my question for you is like six years ago, when you're getting your career, you know, really going and building the expertise that you have now, did you have doubts about being in this particular, you know, area of content? Why, why not? And what was going on at the time that um, got you so excited about it? Or maybe you weren't, maybe you just kind of fumbled into it. I don't know. This had to have been like 2014, 2015 here in New York. And I was doing something completely different. I was working in educational media, educational curriculum tools. And that was nice. It was rewarding to work in a field where you knew you were benefiting students or kids, um, but I really loved audio. So it kind of came from this place of, I love listening to podcasts. I love uh, how intimate they feel. I think one of the biggest buzzwords when people talk about the advantages of audio versus video versus just the written word uh, is you get this opportunity to really feel like you're a fly on the wall and you're part of the conversation. And then when the pandemic hit in 2020, that was such a lifeline for so many people to be home and to feel like some of your familiar voices were kind of right there in the room with you and you were having a social interaction. Uh, there's some really fascinating stats about how smart speaker usage grew 100% year over year 2020 compared to 2019, just because more people were at home and they were listening to audio. And I think the, the really interesting thing about audio compared to video um, is it's, it's definitely labor intensive. Like I don't want to uh, fool any investors out there. It takes time and effort to do a good podcast. Um, but 
it's a lean back medium. It's not a lean in medium. So when you think about, you know, your favorite HBO show, Succession, whatever it might be, you are really just at the edge of your seat watching that. And you can't really do five other things while you're watching an episode of your favorite TV show or your favorite streaming series. Like you have to be watching the screen. And audio's real secret sauce is not only that it's intimate, not only that people really develop these loyal relationships with their their hosts and with the guests that comes on the show, um, but it also has the capacity to allow people to learn and ingest a lot of different information while they're doing five other things. So I don't know about you, but when I listen to podcasts, I'm usually going somewhere. I'm usually cleaning my house. I'm, I'm usually doing something like cooking. Like it's one of those types of programming that can be paired so nicely with other activities. And so that is sort of when you think about the attention economy, think about how audiences could be spending their time doing 5,000 different things right now. Like we walk around with computers in our pocket um, and there's you know 5,000 different streaming services. And then you have this media channel that allows you to essentially do more, like learn more, become informed at a velocity that pairs really well with your lifestyle because you can do other things while you're listening. That to me is just a gold mine because it it's an opportunity to really become a lifestyle type of media that people consume. So that's one thing that I love about audio and that's why I don't think it's going anywhere. And I, I think that the technology is what the big difference is. Audio storytelling has been around you know, forever since the, the beginning of radio, um, but the ability to share it at scale, uh, the ability to you know, make things really easy for people to record, which I also think COVID was that moment where everybody realized that it doesn't take a lot of uh, technology personally to hop on a podcast, record a podcast. There's a lot that could be done remotely. So there's a lot of people who launched podcasts and production for video actually came to a standstill during COVID in the early days, whereas audio was able to continue to produce because it was so easy comparatively to do remotely. Like you didn't need to have all five of your people in studio, um, in person, in order for it to still be a conversation. And, you know, all of the, that's like a slew of reasons why audio is just an incredible channel and an incredible opportunity to tell a brand story, to tell um, a, a journalistic story in a way that's creative and interesting and reaches people where they are with whatever, what they're, they're doing, whether it be driving or walking or, you know, whatever they do in their day-to-day -day life, they can incorporate that into their, their media diet. But the other really cool thing about this, uh, this industry and the opportunity is that we had like history, historically, we've been doing a ton of audio, like the world as a whole, like radio was there. And now we're kind of connecting the dots that we're not limited to just the types of stories and sounds that you heard on the radio. Like we can innovate beyond that because we've connected all the dots across different ecosystems. You know, you were mentioning all the things that you can multitask and do when you're listening to a podcast. 
it's funny because when I when I came to Vietnam six years ago and was looking into podcasts as well, people were saying it would be impossible to do here because people don't drive cars, they drive motorbikes. You know, that's to listen to a podcast while you're motorbiking, probably not the best, best thing you could do. Um, and uh, for instance, public transportation doesn't, it's not really a thing in Vietnam. Yeah, they have bus systems, but they don't have metros, they don't have subways, but they do now. Uh, first subway actually just launched in Vietnam uh, a few months ago. So it's almost like a progression where Vietnam was, uh, I guess, innovation or was digitally native first. They had Spotify, but they didn't have the car. They didn't have the subway, uh, whereas uh, America did. And then they had Spotify. And so it's kind of like a little bit backwards actually. Uh, but because of that, um, we've seen, uh, let's say, downloads, every single metric uh, across audio just really pump up during uh, during the COVID uh, pandemic, especially. Um, so we've been um, fortunate to see the, the forefront of that, I guess you could say. Um, Kayla, I, I do also want to go back to one of the earlier things you said about how um, you worked at smaller media companies, which were nimble and allowed you to um, kind of get in the, in the you know, nitty gritty of everything when it comes to production to distribution. And then at the more bigger legacy corporate level, um, you guys had more resources to do things at scale. I, I'm curious, like what was what were some of the key differences, um, if you could illustrate a little bit more clearly that um, of the, the smaller versus the bigger guy and uh, what would it take for a smaller company to become one of the bigger podcast networks? So like for instance, the ringer or barstool sports, you know, they, they, they weren't those bigger guys, right. But they, or Gimlet media, they became one of them over time. What, what were some of their secret recipes in your, in your opinion that allowed them to get to that bigger scale? My observation in terms of how the smaller podcast companies became really big and really prominent um, in the U S kind of media ecosystem is that when you're smaller, there's just fewer decision makers. Every time I was about to make a decision, um, specifically at Condé Nast, just because it's a really large company, even compared to Vox, which is a large media company, but doesn't really have, or didn't at the time, as many layers to make a decision as uh, a Condé Nast does. Smaller media companies have an upper hand when it comes to audio, because they are moving fast and breaking things. That's pretty much it in a nutshell. They're able to be really nimble, like I said earlier, try out a lot of different things and not be beholden to you know, five or six or seven SVP decision makers above them just to see it go to market and then collect you know, just insights about how something is performing. Um, I think there's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of hesitancy to launch new things that haven't been proven out um, at larger corporate media companies, which makes a ton of sense. There's more due diligence and that can be a really good thing. But it also, when you're thinking about an industry that every six months, it's just a completely different technological advancement, new trend, it's things are moving really rapidly in audio. And so Gimlet, Barstool, The Ringer, um, Vox as well. Uh, these are all media brands that had the benefit of testing out a lot of things early on and not being sort of held back or stymied by lots of executives at the top before they were launching something. And 
you know, you see it happen as organizations become larger and, you know, just have so many more people to go through in order to get something out the door. Uh, even Spotify, there was a recent list from um, the trade publication Inside Podcasting that listed out all of the shows that Spotify has announced, but haven't been published yet. Just things that they said, oh, they're coming spring 2021 or fall 2021, and they just haven't quite been um, released yet. And part of that is there's just so many people that have to approve things before they go out the door. And you and I know, and um, in a conversation show operation, like, you know, the one that you and I and Twee, who is our wonderful producer, um, set up for us today, it's, it's like, you can do this pretty quickly if you want. You can have really meaningful and interesting and even viral conversations quickly um, if you just decide to push the button, hit record and start somewhere. Like, I think it's better in audio to start somewhere than to um, hold hold on to this idea that it has to be absolutely glisteningly perfect. And there are brands like Vogue, for example, where everything is beautifully polished and, you know, really made at a very high level. And their narrative podcast about fashion is really wonderful and well done. But it also is, you know, a six month to a year long process before that season really got out the door. Whereas in that same amount of time, Viet Cedra could launch like 12 shows, you know? So it's just that opportunity to really, uh, really try and experiment more with your audience. And uh, I, I don't, I think that podcast listeners are also more forgiving. They like things that feel very human. They like those moments where people are being silly and totally themselves. And that kind of builds loyalty, um, makes them feel like they really know their host. They know the, the podcast intimately. It's like they're hanging out with their friends. So um, the need to be absolutely sparklingly perfect in audio is not as, as much of a hurdle as it might be in other media channels. Elsa Speak is the world's smartest English pronunciation coach powered by AI. The app can listen and pinpoint the exact errors in every single sound, intonation, rhythm, and pitch as you speak, compared to a native speaker, and give instant feedback on how to improve. All these feedbacks are fully automated using Elsa's proprietary speech recognition technology. With this virtual everyday English personal trainer, you'll be able to speak with ease and confidence. Learn how to speak like our innovators by downloading and clicking the link in the description below. Less editing. That's what we really like about it. I think Less probably editing. on an average podcast, we keep 95 to 99% of the content. Um, it's very often that we sometimes even publish it as is. Um, we, we, we don't edit too much, aside, aside from adding the sound effects in the beginning and all that kind of stuff. But um, um, Kayla, I, there's also the debate always going on, and, and we encounter this uh, it's both a difficulty, but also an opportunity where publishers, um, sometimes we feel the pressure, especially from our advertisers or brands to also have hosts that are quote unquote famous or have their kind of personality already. Whereas like we obviously prefer to grow and nurture talent rather than just like find existing ones. Has podcasts in your experience, and maybe I don't know enough, I, I only listen to a handful obviously, uh, but um, on my side, is it a, is it a medium where it's allowed 
just anyone to become like a creator or, or do you see more success from like celebrities that like start podcasts and, and so on and so forth? What, are they both viable? What, what's been popular these days? It's a great question, really. Like, what is the solution to staffing talent on a podcast? Do you go with the big name? Or do you go with somebody who has a lot of promise, has a really strong point of view, has a ton of personality, and wants to stay with your, your publishing company and grow with you and become like in-house talent at, at your publishing company? And I, I think it's something that a lot, of, uh, a lot of media companies here in the United States are really struggling with. So when I was at Vox, uh, our two biggest shows were the Ezra Klein show and Kara Swisher's Recode Decode. And these are both, you know, journalists that had been part of the Vox company for over a decade. And they had these podcasts for a while. They had built up organic audiences. They were known outside of their podcast, but they were by no means household names, I would say. Um, and it's interesting because they built these really huge brands and these followings within Vox. And then New York Times last year swooped in and uh, brought both Ezra and Kara Swisher over to New York Times. So it's kind of like an eat and be eaten world mm. in podcasting right now in terms of talent. And it's not just, you know, like the Amy Schumers of the world. Amy Schumer uh, notoriously got one of the first sort of celebrity deals with Spotify early on. And the show didn't really do that well. People didn't tune in. It wasn't an immediate success as a lot of the executives had sort of banked on. And part of that wasn't that, you know, people didn't like Amy Schumer. It's like, maybe they really just liked seeing her live doing standup and that medium, the podcast wasn't sort of what caught the eye of people who are podcast listeners. Uh, the biggest opportunity in terms of listener acquisition in the podcasting sphere in the audio space right now is not people who already listen to podcasts. It's people who don't really even know what a podcast is. Um, so there's still, you know, over 50% of the global population, probably more um, if we're speaking globally, but at least in the U.S., um, that could be turned on to podcasting. That's where the opportunity is. So it's not a requirement that the people who host your shows need to be these known entities, like these immediately recognizable celebrities. Certainly there are instances where it's like, yes, it was knocked out of the park, um, but it just has to be baseline, a really good show that kind of has gravitas. And that doesn't need to be with uh, an A-list, B-list or C-list celebrity that could just be with somebody who's a really good interviewer who uh, really has an amazing rapport um, and brings on all sorts of different voices that attract a lot of attention and get that new audience in the door, get that existing audience in the door. Um, there's a big scramble in audio right now uh, for talent. Like I've never seen more job openings in my life in the United States. Like there's always an opportunity for a host, a producer, and a lot of people who are podcast producers usually are also 
you know, wearing that other hat where sometimes they host episodes. Sometimes um, they are completely behind the scenes and you never hear from them. Um, or sometimes they pop in on the episode to comment, like they become characters themselves. So there's a real pipeline of people who are producers to becoming like actual host talent as well, because they understand what works in audio. And so I see that a lot um, here in the States at media companies. But to you know answer your question more succinctly, I think that the creator economy is one where they want something from the media company who's going to bring them on board. They want to make sure that they're being guaranteed having their brand elevated as the show or whatever properties they're working on grows. And so if a media company can't offer them those opportunities, there's so many other places like YouTube, Substack, lots of places where they could independently kind of grow their personal brand. So it really is... Um, it really is a grab for, for good talent. And that talent doesn't need to be a celebrity. It just needs to work. And audiences will come if it works. So um, we talked a lot about, you know, getting the talent. How about getting the audience? You mentioned in the U.S. at least, potentially 50% or more of the entire population or the Spotify population, let's say, has never even listened to a podcast. Um, and we see in the news how Spotify and other companies are buying uh, the license rights for shows. Um, let's talk about that a little bit. Is, is it actually working out for them? We see these big numbers and they're making much more than their advertising would probably pull in, but then they, they also probably have to give up something, right? Like in the news recently, Spotify has been, uh, their employees have been unhappy with Joe Rogan because of his, um, you know, sometimes controversial statements and, and uh, um, positions on things that go against the values of the company. But at the same time, they're paying this guy like $30 million a year. You know, they can't just like shut him up, right? Um, how, how, what's that dynamic look like at the moment um, from, from your experience? I think that for, if we're just looking at Spotify right now, we're seeing how they're really gobbling up a ton of big shows, a ton of big networks too. Like they bought The Ringer, they bought Parcast, which is that big true crime network. Um, they have brokered deals with top talent, like we just discussed, you know, a lot of celebrity talent saying like they'll launch a show, you know, at some point. And then Joe Rogan in particular, I think there's this, yes, it did immediately give Spotify that sort of massive bump in terms of people coming to their platform to listen to podcasts or at least a podcast because Joe Rogan is probably one of the, the biggest podcasts available in terms of audience size, like at least over a million downloads per episode, which is huge when you think about it. Um, I, from what I've read and understood about the data, uh, the top 1% of shows in existence, they are over a thousand downloads per episode each. So to think that there's a show out there that does a million downloads per episode that's huge when you think of that in terms of the top one, 1% 1 of all podcasts just having to hit over that 1,000 download mark. Um, so I think that that buying or merging or whatever the negotiation was in terms of how Spotify brought Joe Rogan in was a smart business practice if you want to see growth on paper. But there's a lot of limitations still with the technology and audio where misinformation crisis that's been happening over the past two years. There's been a lot of guests that he's had on his show that are kind of proliferating this misinformation. 
And Spotify has to make the judgment call. And this is happening across all of tech. Like, am I a tech platform or am I a publisher? And do I, should I remove this content because it doesn't align with my mission statement as a publisher? Or should I say, I'm a tech, I'm a tech platform. Like I don't have a strong opinion or a dog in this fight when it comes to the content that's on my platform. And so I think like the answer has been that Spotify has actually stripped episodes that are spreading misinformation. Like they've made that executive call, um, but it's not quite enough. Like you're only as good as the types of people you give a platform to. And so Joe Rogan's just a really divisive character. And yeah, it gives you the downloads, but is it worth it in terms of the integrity of your operation? I don't know. I, I don't work with Spotify directly on anything Joe Rogan related. So I can't really comment, but I do think that consolidation has been huge, not just at Spotify, but at Amazon, at Apple. Um, Amazon bought Wondery. Wondery is kind of the, the home to really ambitious narrative podcasts that typically get turned into uh, get turned into TV series or movies. And so there's this whole pipeline of activity that's happening where, yeah, you might buy the rights to a really good podcast, but what are all the different media extensions and essentially revenue opportunities that go along with having any sort of stake in that IP. Uh, so I think it's more of like an IP. Um, for Spotify, I think it's been a, a grab for downloads and to scale rapidly. Um, but I also think for a lot of companies like Amazon, it's like, how can we get the most IP in-house that can then uh, funnel into our streaming networks, funnel into everything else that we're doing across all of our other platforms? Uh, and that's where the consolidation is happening. It's not just about the podcast. It's about all the tentacles that the podcast could provide to the parent company. And we'll see what happens. And like Apple and Amazon are unique in that they're these large consumer tech brands, large tech platforms in some ways, um, but they're also content creators. And so there's just a lot of intersection happening and it's never been a better time to be like a smaller publisher because there's so many bigger companies that are probably sniffing around looking for what kind of IP you're making and whether your IP is going to be the next big thing. It's just a huge opportunity. Elsa Speak is the world's smartest English pronunciation coach powered by AI. The app can listen and pinpoint the exact errors in every single sound, intonation, rhythm, and pitch as you speak compared to a native speaker and give instant feedback on how to improve. All these feedbacks are fully automated using Elsa's proprietary speech recognition technology. With this virtual everyday English personal trainer, you'll be able to speak with ease and confidence. Learn how to speak like our innovators by downloading and clicking the link in the description below. Let's talk about um, the types of podcasts a little bit. You mentioned narrative and how that can spin off into a licensed TV show series on Netflix and broadcasting and whatnot. Like here in Vietnam, uh, the dominant form is still the talk show format. Um, getting into narrative, uh, I haven't seen any, actually. It's quite an interesting space to me. I think Vietcetera will probably dip into it next year. Um, what is a narrative podcast? What are, what are some of the most um, successful ones in the US? And, and another question I had there is, how do you monetize one? Because um, when I hear narrative, I think like someone's like reading a book, it's almost like an audio book, right? Um, but it's not actually written, it's, it's only an audio. How does that work? What is a narrative podcast? So 
A narrative podcast can be a lot of different things. I think that the biggest distinguishing factor about narrative versus just you know, kind of an interview roundtable talk show is that it's more scripted in some ways. So right now I'm working on a narrative podcast and the way that I think about it is very similar to how you might think about a play where you're like, okay, well, I'm telling a story about how Vietcetera became a media company. And so I could just talk to you. It could just be a conversation I have with you, or it could be that you come up with a story arc um, and you create setting, you create ambiance. You really suck your listener in by doing something that makes them feel like they were there. Like the night that you sat at a, a, a bar in Vietnam and decided to launch this, this huge new media company. And so you, you add in the sound of the bar, the clinking of the, uh, the drinks, you add in somebody from the time who was like, Oh, I was there with how we were talking. Um, and they give sort of an anecdote about it. It's very illustrative. So uh, one of you know the largest podcasts here in the States, This American Life, um, which is really kind of the hub for a lot of this ambitious sort of narrative storytelling that pulls in a lot of different voices in order to tell a cohesive story. They always say, Ira Glass always says that audio is an inherently visual medium. So narrative podcasting is really the vehicle for that visual medium you are painting a picture for somebody. You're telling them a story with all the different types of anecdotes and voices that might need to be brought in to tell that story. And it's really enriching. And if it's done well, which there's so many people who do it really well, um, is you get something that really feels like appointment listening. It's something where, um, if you're on a long plane ride, you just want to binge the whole series because each episode you're like, oh my God, what's going to happen next? Like that's how you know it's a good narrative podcast. And you're scripting it to the point where you're like, oh, I know I need an expert to talk about this here. I know I need um, somebody who was there that day when Howe founded the company to kind of paint the picture for me. But you're not, you know, like feeding your, your guests words as much as you're just asking them the right questions so that you can pull that tape in um, and really paint the picture. So I would say a narrative podcast is something that's really illustrative high production value, um, a lot of uh, good sound editing. So it's something that's more artistic, I would say, and more labor intensive. I, I think that what we know is that you can't really launch a good narrative podcast in a short period of time. You need like three to six months to, to develop it and you know produce at least two to three episodes. Um, and usually they're shorter seasons. Uh, so Serial, which launched in 2014 and was sort of the, the, the example of how podcasting became something that was really mainstream and really interesting to a lot of people um, here in the United States, which was a, a true crime podcast, but also a podcast about policy and um, you know legal drama um, that was gripping to a lot of people because they wanted to figure out you know is our main character guilty or innocent and they they listened week over week um, you don't know what the audience is going to be for a net new podcast um, so Mailchimp which was the sponsor of that podcast probably didn't pay a lot to sponsor 
serial, but the, the show has been listened to billions of times and they are the sponsor. So they ended up getting a ton of exposure, a ton of media impressions that they didn't bank on when they brokered the deal. So it is an interesting space. Uh, narrative is, I would say, you're really selling a sponsor on the idea that this is going to be appointment listening. Um, you are attaching like a large paid uh, marketing budget when you're launching a narrative podcast because it is sort of a, an event, I would say. It's like a hero event for um, a media company if they're launching an ambitious storytelling podcast. Um, so those are just some elements that like differentiate narrative from a conversation show. And there's a lot of fiction happening too. It's not just nonfiction. It's not just things that actually happen. People are using all of the, the storytelling devices that work for nonfiction and they're applying it to just net new fiction podcasts. Um, and that's kind of where celebrity I see comes in a lot in the States where you pull in an actor to play a character. Um, there's a lot of historical fiction coming out of Q code, which, you know, they have like John Hamm on an episode or Kesha on an episode. Um, and that is interesting. Like, I think that is a cool place to see actual celebrity voices play because they're voice actors in those capacities. Got it. Great. I'll stop. I, yeah. that was like a huge tangent, <laughs> but anyways. Well, uh, I've got one last question for you, Kayla. We're, we're nearing the end of our show here today. Um, and that question, uh, we talked about it earlier, not on the show, but um, off, off record, about the idea of um, podcasts, since it's still very new and in a market like Vietnam, where adoption mm -hmm. of these audio platforms is only for music, like podcasting. If you asked me a year ago, the most popular podcast here was an audiobook about learning English, which, which tells you a lot. Um, but then our strategy was to introduce uh, this format, but put it onto YouTube, put it onto Facebook in the form of a video. Um, and that's because we knew that there was a native audience on video that would essentially lead gen into these audio platforms. In your experience, and I guess this was what they would call multicast, is that right? Um, what are the advantages and disadvantages of that? And for those that are new creators, either individuals or media companies, here in Vietnam, Asia, or anywhere, wherever you're listening, do you start as a multicast? Um, do you start only in audio? What, what are some of your um, kind of insights on that? In the United States, uh, in terms of multicast or simulcast, that's another term for it. Uh, I think it's one of the biggest opportunities right now. So uh, in the United States, 40% of podcast listening actually happens on YouTube. So it's a lot of people that are probably working on their computer all day. They just open YouTube and then they listen. And they're not necessarily looking at the visuals of that podcast. So there's a lot of opportunity, even if it's just the audio file that you're uploading to YouTube with some sort of art. That's a great way to bring in audiences that are on YouTube and the discovery algorithm on YouTube is really powerful. So I, I think it's a, it's a place where we see, we see a lot of publishers playing, but I don't think we see enough publishers playing with that space. So again, back to the point that it doesn't need to be perfect to launch a podcast. It also makes a ton of sense to launch it all the different places that people listen bring your content to people where they already are. 
Um, and so that means, yeah, make sure it's on Apple and Spotify and all of the, the big podcatchers or apps that are prominent wherever you are in your market. And that varies, like there's Pocket Cast, there's Overcast, there's a lot of uh, sort of niche platforms where people just like to do their audio only podcast listening. But YouTube is great. It's kind of the great equalizer in the sense that your show could then pop up if it's tagged kind of in the same realm of what somebody already enjoys listening to. Like if they like video essays about film, then you have a podcast episode that's with one of the biggest film creators that could automatically play after a video they watch and they could be sucked in and not really care that there's not a visual representation on screen. Obviously it's nice when you do have video um, where you have you know conversation video like we're filming right now that can be helpful for your for your simulcast, but don't let that be a limiter. Uh, you can absolutely publish to YouTube and you should, my recommendation, um, even if it's just audio only, because audio only listening happens across YouTube and Alphabet, the parent company to Google and YouTube, they're actively trying to figure that out right now. They're hiring a lot of people for like audio only uh, product integration because they know that this is the case and they know that there's an opportunity here. It's just still, again, emerging business, nascent business, where things are going to change really rapidly in the next six to, to 10 months. Um, I guarantee it in terms of YouTube being a platform that's even more fitted for audio only listening. Like right now, if I open a YouTube video on my phone and my phone screen locks, then the, the video turns off. And so I think that my prediction would be there's going to be a movement to change that feature to make YouTube kind of interchangeable with Apple or Spotify in terms of being a listening only platform. Mm. Yeah, that, I mean, that, that feature has been lacking for several years, I think. You're not the first person to mention that. So I'm, I'm sure they're doing that purposely just to get people to talk about it at this point. Um, Kayla, thank you for joining today's show. I'm sure your insights will be invaluable to a lot of the uh, new creators, um, our audience, uh, myself, uh, in terms of uh, the next generation of podcasters in Vietnam. It's, as I mentioned before, it's it's a super new industry within content, uh, I would say, and um, there's not a lot of experts in Vietnam. So any, any, any comments that, you know, insights you've shared today are super valuable. So thank you again. Um, Everybody, uh, thank you for tuning in for another episode of Vietnam Innovators. Every Tuesday drops on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, wherever you find your wherever you find your podcasts. Um, if you have questions for Kayla, you can drop them in the chat or email us or find Kayla on LinkedIn. Um, again, she was most recently working at Condé Nast and at Vox and other small, smaller publishers in New York, uh, working on audio. Um, thank you so much, Kayla, for for joining us today. Check out the Vietnam Innovators series on Spotify and Apple Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe to listen to other innovative stories in Vietnam. Thanks, guys, for tuning in for another episode of Vietnam Innovators with me, your host. Uh, we just want to finish today with another shout out to our sponsors, Elsa. Go check them out. Um, thanks again for tuning in. And again, thanks to our sponsors. Hey guys, good news. Vietcetera has now officially rolled out a mobile app for Android. Now you can download our mobile app on both the Apple iOS store and the Google Play store right now. More functions are coming very soon, so stay on the lookout.